All right, good morning. I want you to think about your first childhood memory of church. Got it? Anybody got it? First childhood memory. I don't want to know about it. I just want, to, I want you to know about it. You got it? Okay. All right. I'm going to tell you mine. We grew up in a time and in a place where a coat and tie were mandatory for all ages. Right? And so I had this bow tie. And it was, yeah, oh, it was really, I was cute, I'm sure. And uh, I had this bow tie, but it wasn't the clip-on kind. It had the elastic on it. Did anybody have those? So I don't know, maybe church was just not good or I wasn't tuned in or I was, had ADD. I don't know what was going on. But I used to take that bow tie and I would pull it out as far as I could and then let it go and to see how far I could get before it really hurt me. And, you know, I don't know why that's my earliest childhood memory, which is really not deep. And, by the way, I'm your pastor, so now you're really worried about it. But, um, and then in those distracted moments, meaning when my parents were distracted, I would hit the ground and begin to make my way as far up under the pews as I could to see how far I could get, only to be met by an usher, an angry parent, or somebody sending me back up. When I get back up there, I had, like, woolies and you know, dirt all over me from going, and, and I'm telling you, I don't know why that happened, but it's an early memory. But let me tell you another one that was like it. They talked about Jesus dying on the cross. I remember that as well. And I remember thinking, why did he do that? I never got the second part of the story, you know, that he rose from the dead. Somehow that one just never clicked in my childhood memory. But I had he died on the cross. And I thought everybody knew why he died on the cross except me. And I didn't want to ask because I didn't want to seem stupid like I was the only one who didn't know why Jesus died on the cross. So I want to start today by telling you the reason that Jesus died on the cross was for your sins and mine. He paid a penalty, a price, for our walking away from God. So he died for our sins. He was put in a tomb, and he rose for our life. So he died for our sins, but he rose to give us new life. So had he never risen, we would have, our sins would have been covered, but we never would have experienced new life. So death, burial, and resurrection, it's a picture that we need to understand and really relate to. And as you go back in your mind about early childhood memories, especially as it relates to God, and maybe for you, you don't have any, and maybe your first real encounter with God came uh, in, in high school, in college. For me, to really know God came when I was in college. And that's where I had my God encounter. But that God encounter that you had, or will have today if you haven't had one, that God encounter is the one that is to guide you throughout your whole life. You go back to that foundation and you say, is the foundation strong in my life? Do I really understand what's going on? And church has to be a part of that. You see, because when Jesus died, he didn't just die for your sins and rise for, to give you life, but he died to establish the church. Now, some people will come along and go, you know, I don't really need the church, I'm a Christian. But that's like saying that everything Jesus taught about the church is meaningless, he died to establish the body of believers, the church, and we're not talking about institutional church, the building, we're talking about you gathered together as a community of believers. 
He died to establish that because he had a purpose and he had a reason. He wanted to, to bring us together in such a way that our gifts and our talents and everything that we have could be combined in an effort to tell others about the kingdom of God, to tell others about the cross, and to live our life in such a way that we could minister to one another, that we could be there for one another through good and bad times. And that's in part what the church is. So we're in this series called uh, Kingdom Discipleship. It's based on this new book uh, that you can get if you'd like. It's, uh, we're actually following through it in this series. But I wanna begin by just talking about the church is supernatural. The church is not like a business. It has a business dimension, but it's supernatural. Because what makes it happen, what makes it real, is the presence of the Spirit of God in you, connecting us together, and Jesus calls that the body of Christ. Also, the church is the hope of the world. I don't know if you've noticed, um, Tammy made reference to it, the world's a little bit spun out of control, especially uh, in our day, but I want you to know it's only gonna intense as we get closer to the end of the age. But what is the hope that we have? Our hope is not in politics. Our hope is not in the economy. Our hope is not in, in just what our own ingenuity. Our hope has to be in something greater, and our hope is in Jesus Christ. And when we put our hope in that, we understand the church, the message of the church is the hope through Jesus Christ. That's where we find all this hope. In fact, the Bible calls it the, Jesus the blessed hope the one that we look forward to and are anxious about. But the other thing is that, that I believe is the church has an amazing ability to transfer generational wisdom. You see, one of the ways that we are supposed to work is that older are supposed to teach younger. That is, men teach younger men. Older women teach younger women. Why? Because there's something that needs to be transferred. There's wisdom that needs to be transferred. What you've learned in your lifetime, what you've learned as a Christian, that needs to be deposited in a younger generation who can be further along than you were at that same age because they've gotten your wisdom. And as we go through, we learn how to walk with God. We learn how to make application of the word of God. When we teach that to people, they go, oh, that makes sense. Now I understand. Now I get it. So we need to be a part of that in our life. Well, when we look at Jesus and how he discipled people, we see that he had a very definite plan. There's a very definite strategy that he had. I wanna show you a chart that we've uh, used before. We're gonna keep reinforcing these through this. But you notice that it starts with God's supreme goal. What is God's goal? It is the establishment of his kingdom in the universe. Now, what that means is his rule and his reign throughout not just the earth, but throughout the universe. And that, that is manifested in three phases when you read the Bible. Phase one is the Old Testament phase. And that's where Jesus taught, or God taught us there about what's the kingdom like? How do we relate to God? It started in the garden with Adam and Eve. How do we relate to God? And how do we get in trouble with God? In other words, how do we walk away from him with sin? And we see types and pictures, meaning like there's a lamb that's slain in the Old Testament. It's a picture of the coming lamb of God that would be slain uh, for our sins. Uh, phase two is Christ and the apostles. And this is where Jesus gathers 12 guys together. He begins to pour his life into them over a period of three years, teaching them how to walk with God. What does it mean to carry on after he's gone? And that's uh, the phase we're really in. That's up until the eternal phase, which is phase three. And that's where God establishes his kingdom and uh, earth and heaven are, are brought together and there is this eternal reign of God. 
So the big picture on that, in the meantime, you'll notice right below the second phase, we have three things to do. We're to be fruitful, and what that means is we're to bring other people into the kingdom. It's a picture of evangelism. And when you have children and you're reproducing your life in somebody else, and then the next one is multiply, that's discipleship. So we're teaching people. Okay, once you become a Christian, now I need to learn how to live out as, as, as a Christian. I need to learn the Word of God. I need to, need to grow. I need to learn how to pray. I need to be in fellowship with other believers. And then the last one is uh, fill the earth, and that's mission. So we, we can't be content to just take the message here. We take the message around the world. And that is a part of this whole thing we're doing. Uh, coming up, uh, following the Kim Walker uh, concert that we have coming on uh, the 15th of September, we have a friend of ours, Dr. Luke Holter. He's going to be with us. Uh, he has a, he's a gifted prophet, and uh, we've had him here speak to our staff. We invited him back. He's going to do two nights, two mornings on the 16th and 17th. I want to show you a short video, kind of introduce Luke to you. Well, you'll hear more about him between now and then. But let's watch the screens. We need, we need Christians now more than ever to step into the power, the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit. We need Christians. Look, we got Christians looking all over for portals. I know intercessors that are like, there's the portal over the north gate of our city. And it's like, look, quit looking for portals. You are the portal. You're how God, you're how heaven invades earth. It's you. You're plan A. There is no plan B. So Luke is a great guy. He actually was one of the guys that helped start Expression 58 with Sean Bolts. So they're good friends, and we're looking forward to have him with us. Uh, the reason we show you that and the reason we want to encourage you is because we want you to tap into all that God has in the supernatural for you. We don't want to live our life with Christian ethics and without the Spirit of God. Amen? We want to live in the power of the Spirit of God so the evidence in our life is Him living his life in us and through us. So let's talk a little bit about the supernatural origin of the church. When Jesus was talking to the apostle Peter, he asked him, who do men say that they are? And he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He said, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my Father, which is in heaven. In other words, you can say those words with your lips, but unless you, you can't understand them unless you've really made that a part of your faith system. You believe that. And when he said that, he said, I want you to know that uh, in verse 18, he says, I'm going to build my church. Do you know the church is not my church and it's not your church, it's his church, amen? It's, it's kind of a little uh, thing that kind of bothers me is when someone says, well, I go to so-and-so's church and they mention the pastor's name. Like, I go to Pastor Phil's church. No, Pastor Phil does not have a church. He never died for your sins, he never will. And if he did, it wouldn't do you any good, amen? All right, so it's the, it's the church of Jesus Christ. So the church of Jesus Christ, Jesus said, I will build my church, and not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. So he told us a lot right there in that little verse, didn't he? First of all, he told us that Christ is the architect of his church. Now, that church, there's different expressions of it. This is one expression, and there's multiple expressions all around the world of the church, um, those And I define a church as that life-giving church that believes the Bible, the power of the Holy Spirit, has been a born again, embraces the faith that was given to us through Christ and the apostles. That's a church. All right, there are other place, things that call themselves churches, and they don't do that. They just tag the name on it. But the church, regardless whether they have a denomination or not, 
regardless whether they are here or around the world, small or large, it doesn't matter. Jesus is the architect of his church. He said, I will build my church. And he builds it in a supernatural way. He works in your heart and my heart. He knits us together in ways that we can't even understand, right? He gives us spiritual gifts that we can use in the, in the glory of God and, and, to, and to minister to one another. So he is the architect, but he's also the owner. Notice he calls it his church. He says, that I will build my church. So it's the church of Jesus Christ. And he says, it's my church, and I'm going to, to be there for it. I'm gonna be the defender. He further says, look, not even hell will prevail against it. In other words, what he's saying is, I'm the defender of the church. If you look at the history of the church all through the centuries, you'll notice that it's had great times and bad times. It's gone through dark ages and difficult times, but it remains because Jesus Christ will not let his church fail. My ancestry originally was from France and the southern part of France, and uh, as a part of, there were a part of our family that were part of the Bogomils, and the Bogomils were these, these believers that just were a small kind of ragtag group of people but the Catholic Church at that time were persecuting the, the Protestant, what would be later the Protestants, but at that time they were just followers of the way. And they took about 14,000 of them over to a cliff and they pushed them over a cliff and they said that'll be the end of that. Now, that's not, that's not an endorsement or, or, or a condemnation of anybody. It's saying they were bad times, but the idea is the true church always had persecution going on in it. If you follow Jesus Christ with your heart, as he tells you to, you will be persecuted. Jesus said, they've hated me, they're gonna hate you. Don't be surprised somebody doesn't like you. Why don't they like me? Well, you know, it might be that you're annoying, but it also might be the Spirit of God in you. Do you ever think of that? I mean, see, when you live in the Spirit of God, there's, you're, you're radiating something. You're sending out this signal about God in the world. And, and so sometimes it's not even something you can put your finger on and go, well, that's why it is, what it is. No, in this world, we're gonna have tribulations, the scripture says. So, but be of good cheer, because guess what? I've overcome the world. Well, what am I going to do? Well, greater is he that is in you than what? He that is in the world. You're always in a winning situation, even if the church is persecuted, as it is in some parts of the world. But we want, need to understand that God is with us, God is for us. The church is also essential for your health. Now, whenever I go back to people and they, they'll say, well, you know, I'm a Christian, I don't need to go to church. Yes, you do, and we need you there. And it's a part of your health. It's something that keeps you well. Let's go to Hebrews uh, chapter 10 and verse 24. Let us consider, I'm just gonna kind of take this verse apart for a little bit. Let us consider one another. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a moment, we're gonna say, let me think about you instead of me. How can I consider you and to do what? In order to stir up love and good works. So you see, part of our responsibility as being in the church is how do I look at you and consider you instead of me, and how do I stir up in you love for God, love for one another, and good works? Because the Bible says, let men see your good works so that they glorify your Father which is in heaven. So when we live out this Christian life, people are giving glory to God. When we stir up one another, to, do, to, to love and to good works, we're doing the work that God has called us to do. He says, would you just think about that? Consider this for a moment. Then he goes on and writes this. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the habit of some, 
Okay, we'll stop there. So not forsaking the assembling, all right? So the idea is the church is supposed to assemble. That is, they're supposed to come together like we're doing here today. We're supposed to come together, and as we do, notice what it says, as is a matter of some. In other words, not everyone believes that. There are people who call themselves Christians, go, I don't think we have to go to church. I don't think we have to assemble. But he tells us really, really quick right here, he says, but we do need to do it, exhorting one another, okay, and so much more as you see the day approaching. So let's talk a little bit about the day. I'm gonna draw a diagram up here on the board. You might, it's not in your book, so if you wanna kind of take mention of this, you can do that. If we go back to the cross that Jesus died on, and he was buried, he rose from the dead, and then he ascended to the Father. When he ascended to the Father, the Bible says, he sent the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was come to live inside of us. This began right here on the day of Pentecost, that's Acts 2, a period called the church age. It's the age we're living in now. It will come to an end with something called the rapture, that's where Christians leave, and then, it'll, then there'll be a second coming at the end of the tribulation. So there's a tribulation here. Okay. Now, notice that Hebrews, let's go back to that scripture and see what it says. It says here, uh, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. What's the day? This is the day. In other words, as we get closer to the return of Christ, we need to stir each other up more. We need to exhort each other all the more. Why? Because the days are gonna get crazier as life goes on. Do you realize that it's harder right now, I believe, to be a Christian at any other age? Even, even those times of intense persecution in the past, because we are getting closer to the end of the age, closer to the return of Christ. And so what the enemy does, he accelerates his activity, his persecution, the tribulation against the church in these days because he knows his time is short. The Bible says that devil knows his time is short, so what does he do? He accelerates his activity against you. So if you're feeling more pressure than you have in the past, then you are very perceptive because that's what's happening in our world. Fast forward five years. If it's crazy now, what is it in five years? If it's crazier in five, what's it in 10 years? And you see, the, what happens, the Bible says that in darkness, light shines brighter. So the real Christians, the ones who really know God, guess what? They're not gonna fall away in tribulation. They're gonna get brighter and brighter. They're gonna be intense for the glory of God. They're gonna be giving God the glory even in the most trying times because that's how it works. That's how the kingdom advances for the, for the glory of God. So I wanna take you to a, a little bit more in the book of Hebrews because it's a great warning book, an instructional book about this thing. So what happens when we, when we forget this, when we don't assemble, when we don't pursue God? Well, one of the things is we drift from the truth. If you've ever been in a boat that wasn't tied up, you know if you wait very long, it's going to drift, isn't it? Now, it's not drifting because you want, to, want it to drift. It's drifting because you didn't do anything to stop it from drifting. Now think about your life. You drift away from God not because you don't love God, you drift away from God not because you're intentionally trying to get away from God. You drift because you haven't done anything to keep yourself from drifting from God. In other words, you haven't tied up to the dock. So let's take you to Hebrews chapter two and verse one and listen to what it says. Now these scriptures aren't on the, 
on the screen, so you just have to listen or look them up. He says, therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have learned, lest we drift away. So you have to give more earnest heed. The longer you're a Christian, you have to be more diligent than you were when you were first saved because you have more to lose, and the enemy has put a bigger target on you. All right, let's, let me show you something else. We also run the temptation of falling away from God altogether. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 3, and listen to what it says in verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Now listen, he's writing to Christians, and he says, do you know, Christian, you can have an evil heart of unbelief? That it's possible for the enemy to sneak in and begin to take away from you your faith system? And it becomes evil, and what it does is is you move away from God. You see, we always live on this, on this, this line of I'm either going to go, I'm gonna go back, I'm, I'm gonna go away from God, or I'm gonna go forward, but I never stay where I am. No one stays where they are spiritually. You're either advancing or you're losing. You're either advancing or you're retreating. Even you say, well, I, I don't feel like I'm any further from God uh, than I ever was. Well, that's evidence you are further from God because that's never the right response. The right response is, I'm advancing, I'm drawing closer to God every day of my life. I sense his presence, I see his glory, I'm stirring up other believers for, for love and good works. It's all moving in the right direction. Okay, one more. We also can become dull of hearing. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 35 and 36. Now, have you ever been dull of hearing intentionally? Like somebody said something and you didn't want to act like you heard them, so you just said, what? No, I didn't, I didn't hear that. What are you talking about? My wife says I, I'm guilty of this sometimes, right? Did you hear what I said? I, yeah, no, I, no, I don't know. What'd you say? But you see, God says we can become dull of hearing of his word and of his spirit. So that we're saying, yeah, God told me that, but. Yeah, I, I think I heard that. I'm not sure what he said, but let's go to Hebrews and see what he says here in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 35 and 36. It says, therefore, do not cast away your confidence. Do you know that where confidence comes from? It comes from walking with God. When you are not walking faithfully with God, you're fearful and you lack confidence. You're not sure. That's when you say things, I don't even know if God loves me anymore. You know, you know what that's indication? That's indicating that you are walking away from him and not toward him. So you have to turn around and go, wait a minute, if I'm saying those things, I need to turn and go in the right direction with God. He says, don't cast away your confidence, which has great reward. So your confidence in God is rewarded by God. That means lack of confidence in God is not rewarded by God. You see how that works? So he says, don't cast away your confidence, which has great reward. And it goes on to say that, for you have need of endurance, you see, we don't need sprinters in the Christian faith. We need long-distance runners. We need people who say, you know, this is what I'm doing for the rest of my life. This is my commitment to God. I will live for him. I will honor him. I will serve him all the days of my life. I'll look back on my life one day and said, I had a great run with God. And that's what we need to say. He said, so it, it says this, so we have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. And it says, for yet a little while, he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but anyone who 
Anyone who draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So God is trying, he's warning us, he's saying, look, you're not necessarily trying to get away from God, but you haven't tied up to the dock. And you're drifting. You're just drifting. And it's easy to drift, isn't it? He said, you've become dull of hearing. It wasn't you were intentional trying to be dull of hearing, but you stopped listening to his voice. He tells us that we need to, to not let unbelief come into our life because an evil heart of unbelief can capture any one of us. No one is free from that temptation and that, that process if we become dull, if we're not anchored to the ship. All right, let's go on a little bit more. Christ fulfills the eternal purpose of God. So the church is the eternal purpose of God. So let's just think about this, and I never kind of gauge this all right. So this is a new diagram, not related to that one, okay? Let me ask you something. If I put church in here, this is supposed to be a church, okay? Is church in your life, or is it just something you tack on when it's convenient? You see, this has to be a part of your life. I mean, you could put things in here, well, like my family's part of my life, my health is part of my life. These are important priorities to me. You don't just tack on these things. They need to be a part of your life. They need to be the core of your life and go, no, you know what? Church is a priority. Why? Why is it a priority? Because Jesus died, rose from the dead, because I can get dull of hearing, I can get an evil heart of unbelief, and I can drift away from the living God. And if I don't have that in my life, I don't have that anchor for my soul. And I need that. But not only do I need that personally, but the people around you need you to have that too, that anchor in your life, because guess what? They're, ta- they're anchored to you. Have you, ever, you ever known people that just kind of walk away from God and then three or four more people walk away from God with them? They influence them for evil. They were discontented, and they spread discontentment in someone else's heart, and when they spread discontentment, they say, yeah, me too. And they weren't a me too anyway, that was, really wasn't where they were going. It was just that they were so easily drawn away because the enemy's trying to draw us away. And we have to, we have to stay in the fight. That's just what life is about. Uh, Ephesians chapter three, verse eight. Paul says, to me, the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach the Gentiles, to the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now think about this. Think about riches, but they're unsearchable because there's so much of them, we can't even get through it all. That God has so much riches for you, he defines it as being unsearchable, riches of Christ, and he says, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. You know that that the Christian life is a bit of a mystery, isn't it? Walking with God is a bit of a mystery. And when you stumble on the answers to those mysteries, it's so enlightening, isn't it? You go, wow, I just, God just showed me this. Look at this. This is amazing. I've grown. Well, we have fellowship in that one. So when you have a mystery uncovered to you, tell us about it. Share that with one another. Encourage one another all the more. And it says, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God. You know what's been hidden in God since the beginning of time? The church. God hid the church. He said, I'm gonna bring this forth in the right time, in the right place, in the right way. But until that time, it's hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ, that all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now, okay, so now, we're living in the now moment. The now moment is this. 
that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. Look at this. Might be made known by the church. Who's going to make known the wisdom of God? What does it say? The church, you. You are the one that tells everybody about the wisdom of God. Well, how do I do that? You open your mouth. Well, I don't know much. You know more than you think you do. You can't listen to a lot of sermons, read a lot of scripture, and it not be in there. And when you start releasing that, when you start talking about God in your life, what happens is you're releasing the manifold wisdom of God. But notice this. It's really interesting. But who who are you manifesting it to? Look what it says. Principalities and powers in heavenly places. You know what that is? That's demonic spirits. Do you know that when you speak about God, you're actually confronting demonic spirits that are in rebellion against God? Oh, thank you. Can I get a burger, too? Um, so what we want to do is we want to we just always be speaking the truth about God wherever we go. Amen? All right? Because what are we doing? We're silencing the enemies of God. We're also uh, silencing our enemies who are trying to defeat us and destroy us in the process. Okay, so what else it says? Those powers are in heavenly places, and it's according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus. So God said, I've got an eternal purpose. Guess what it is? It's you. It's you. You are God's eternal purpose. You know what God's plan is? You are. You say, man, I'd have picked a different plan. Right? Hey, me too. But God said, I use the frailty of man that the, that the power of God might be evident in the lives of people around him. You see, what, who gets more glory? If you're really capable and you always get it right, or you don't always get it right, but people go, I don't know what there is about you, because I've known you my whole life, but there's something about God in you. Can you explain what that is? That's the manifest power of God. That was the eternal purpose of God that God had planned for you and for me. And what does it do? It says, in whom we have boldness. We have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. So when I, when I underst- begin to understand this, guess what? My confidence levels goes up. Remember, it said earlier, and that's great reward, okay? That my confidence goes up. I have a boldness and I have access to God. Isn't that what we want, access to God? I want to be able to know when I go to God and talk to him, he's listening. I want to know when I go to talk to him and I ask him, we're bringing heaven down to earth. We're bringing the manifestation of the kingdom here on earth. That's what I want to know. I want that kind of access. So let's kind of go through a few things here. What do we do? We're, we're to restore mankind to God. That's our, that's our purpose, that we bring people back to God. They say, well, how do I find God? Let me tell you how you find God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me. You bring him that way. You bring him to Jesus Christ, amen? We're also supposed to model the kingdom here on earth. You see, when you live out your life following Jesus, guess what? People are seeing the kingdom of God in you. You go, what's God's kingdom like? Well, it's kind of like me. I don't always get it right, but it's kind of like me. Well, what do you mean? Well, I love God. I understand his word. I pray, I see things happen. That's what the kingdom's like. But I also enforce the victory of Christ over demonic spirits. I, I get to do that. Never fear Satan and his, and his demons. See, they have no power, no authority over you. 
You have all power or authority is given to you in Christ Jesus, so all you have to do is speak his name. So don't fear that. And live your life with boldness and confidence as you go through it. You know, um, years ago, Tammy and I had the, the privilege of living in Oxford, England, and we'd go into London sometime. And if you've ever been to London, there's a lot of sights to see there. But in the very center of London is a place called Charing Cross. And if you've ever been to that train station, you've been to Charing Cross. The history of Charing Cross is quite interesting. It actually dates back to the 13th century. King Edward I had married his wife, and uh, they lived a long, happy life. They had 16 children together. And she died up in the north, up in Sheffield. And up in Sheffield, that when she died, he established a cross there. And then as they transported the body from Sheffield down to London, I think we have a map of this, actually, uh, from, from London, as he transferred, every place they stopped and they spent the night, they put another cross. And this is a, a really a, a, a tall tower, probably 20, 25 feet tall, stone, uh, to commemorate that. And the final one would find itself in London. And that in London, is, uh, the original one's been replaced with a 70-foot high cross. And it's, a, it's really quite a sight to see. Well, years ago, the story goes that there was a little girl that was lost in the city of London. She didn't know where home was. And the police officer there was trying to help her find her way back. And she couldn't remember where she lived. He said, well, do you live near Big Ben? Trying to get some big sites. How about the tower? How about Westminster? And kept going on, trying to help her understand. How about St. Paul's Cathedral? And the little girl was just lost and tears were coming down her face and she didn't have any answers and she just went blank. And at last he said, how about Charing Cross? And the little girl said, yes. If you get me to Charing Cross, I can find my way home. You see, when you get to the cross, you can find your way home. Amen? It always starts and it ends with the cross that Christ died on. The cross of Christ. Let's stand together and I invite you to pray with me. Has the cross had its effect in your life? I ask you early, just bow your heads and I want you to think with me a moment. I ask you to think about the first time, your first memory of church. Now I want you to think about your first memory of the cross. Go back in your mind. What was the first time you remember seeing the cross or hearing about the cross? What was the first time you remember the cross had an, an impact on your life because you realized that the, the reason Jesus died was for your sins. It was your sins on the cross that he paid the price. It wasn't somebody else's, it was yours. If you don't have that memory of that, that memory can start today. Today you can say, you know, I need the cross in my life. Jesus died for my sins. He was buried and rose from the dead to give me life. And I want to put my faith and my trust in Jesus at the cross. Because if you can find your way to the cross, you can find your way home. Amen? So join me in prayer like this one. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead. I ask you to save me, Lord Jesus. Wash away my sins and give me the gift of new life. I ask you to meet power over the enemy, victory in life, 
Let me understand the Bible, walk by faith, and love God. If that was your prayer, would you just thank him right now where you stand or sit? Just thank him in your own words. Just thank him. If that was your prayer, would you just lift your hand and say, Pastor, that was my prayer. I prayed that today. Just lift your hands up. God bless you. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys, all of you.